This is Shore in Your Ears, the official podcast series of the Shore Initiative. Canada, with its rapidly growing population, is attracting the interest of investors in private capital from various global regions. Canada's overall population recently exceeded California and would be the largest U.S. state by population. Moreover, Canada continues to attract international students from all regions due to its stable government, effective university system, and overall high quality of life. Canada, the United States, and EU nations have been strong trade partners for many years, with firms from all regions equally active. But how should investors and funds seeking to raise capital approach the housing crisis opportunity? And what should they know about launching a Canadian student housing fund of equity investment in Canadian student housing? In today's Shore In Your Ears, we will hear from Alex Brubles, partner in the Capital Markets and Securities Group at Toronto-based Macmillan LLP. Mr. Brubles was recorded on November 15th, 2023 at Shore GTA in Eastern Canada. service national law firm. We have uh, offices in all major uh, Canadian cities as well uh, as Hong Kong. Uh, I'm located uh, in the Toronto office. My uh, practice is uh, predominantly corporate finance and M&A and I uh, also have a specialty in uh, structuring uh, REITs, closed-end real estate funds um, and real estate investment products in a variety of asset classes including um, student housing. Um, I'm one of the, the team members that uh, uh, launched the uh, AlignVest uh, student uh, housing REIT. Um, see uh, Trish is here today from AlignVest um, and uh, AlignVest is uh, one of the largest if not the largest uh, uh, pure uh, student housing uh, private sector plays in uh, in Canada. They've got about uh, coming up on a billion dollars in assets, uh, and they've actually just opened again the, um, the books for uh, subscription for investment closing on uh, November 30th. So if um, you see Trish at any point, uh, please uh, touch base with her. Uh, the, the presentation today uh, is, I think I've got about 30 minutes. And so, and so I think who this will be of interest to is uh, asset managers, real estate developers, kind of capital raisers, uh, and, and financiers who are seeking to raise money or kind of launch a product uh, in Canadian student housing. Um, you know, if that isn't you, um, you know, I know we're all in one room, so you know, feel free to kind of just take a walk around and, and uh, enjoy this beautiful building. Um, and so just quick overview, uh, we're going to be talking about launching, launching a fund that will fly student housing assets and some kind of main uh, construction or construction considerations. Um, second, what are the kind of um, the, the key asks or, or strategic things that uh, investors should be considering if they're investing in uh, Canadian student housing? Uh, third, just a few uh, high-level tax considerations. I'm not a, a tax lawyer and I have the benefit of working um, with a few great ones on these products. Um, with that aside, there are key considerations I'd like to touch on. And then finally, I'm just going to give a quick shout out to some of the great work that some of my colleagues uh, in the real estate and tax group are doing with uh, real estate development trusts here in Canada. 
so when we talk about uh, structuring a uh, funding Canadian student housing and doing that effectively, for me, what that means is how can you structure your business uh, to number one uh, attract equity capital in Canadian real estate uh, in, in a manner uh, that's effective? How can you retain that capital? How can you acquire, develop assets? How can you successfully grow a portfolio? How you can deliver superior uh, market um, market superior returns for investors while generating uh, fees to the principals of the fund uh, that make the, the the product attractive and how can you plan for uh, your kind of ultimate uh, long-term uh, liquidity event, right? So that's, that's a lot of things that you're trying to do at once and how you set up your business at the outset is really what is going to lay your, your path for success for that. And when we talk about strategic investing uh, in Canadian student housing in uh, equity, what we mean by that is, is how you can how you can approach your investment not just uh, as a passive investor, but how you can be a strategic investor and use your capital that's invested um, to really uh, you know kind of control the business and influence uh, influence the business. So when we talk about launching fund from kind of a structuring perspective, we've got three main options in Canada. You can this trip. Thanks, Brian. So we've got three. We've got three main options in, in Canada that we can do. You can do it as a corporation. You can do it as a limited partnership, or you can do it as a REIT or a mutual fund trust. Uh, you know, you're going to be taking money from, call it uh, a 
combination of uh, family offices, pension funds, or high net worth individuals in Canada, call them accredited investors. Capital raising is going to be done on a one-time basis, maybe 10 to 15, 20 investors, and you're, you're probably looking at a limited partnership. In contrast, if you're looking to uh, grow an actual portfolio, and you're going to be uh, capital raising on a regular basis, continuously, you're going to be acquiring assets consistently, uh, rolling them into the fund, you're going to be going for those same investors, but you're also trying to attract retail capital, then that's looking more like a mutual fund trust uh, or REIT. So the, the, the pros of uh, the limited partnership, you know, there, there's a lot of them, especially when compared to corporation. Number one, they are more tax efficient. You don't have that corporate level tax uh, and then uh, tax again in the hands of investors. It's just done on a flow-through basis, so you don't have a corporate level tax. Second, you have a lot more flexibility uh, to actually manage the business. You, you don't have a prescribed laundry list of things that you have to go to your, your shareholders to uh, actually approve. Uh, and, and the biggest thing when I think about this is, is your ultimate kind of liquidity, what your what your end goal is, and, and that you know it's usually a number of things. Maybe it's going to be to kind of grow uh, a portfolio and, and kind of perpetually and keep adding assets and, and continue to manage them. One or second, it, it could be to get bought out by a larger competitor. Or third, you know, ultimately some sort of uh, go public event. And you know, if you're set up as a corporation, that all that stuff's going to have, have to be put to a shareholder vote. But if you're set up as a limited partnership uh, or a mutual fund trust, you know, you, 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 depending on how you structure, you may not actually have to. Um, you may not actually have to get uh, unit holder kind of. Uh, uh, investor approval for that, which gives you a lot of flexibility to kind of you know manage and run the business while moving towards that uh, that ultimate goal. Uh, in, in terms of, of kind of cons or negatives of a limited partnership, the biggest one is that they are not register plan eligible. So if you're trying to attract retail investment, you're not going to be able to get that investment from uh, retail investors who are going to want to hold it in their RSPs, their TFSAs, their kids' RESPs. So if that is the, if that is part of your investment strategy and that is part of the capital that you are looking to attract, then that's you're going to be probably considering a, a mutual fund trust. Uh, limited partnerships, they're a lot less complicated than mutual fund trusts or REITs, and they have a lot less compliance involved. Uh, if you are raising capital in a limited partnership, you, know, you don't have an obligation to produce uh, audited annual financial statements. You don't have a lot of filings with securities regular, regulators on a regular basis, so it's a lot more streamlined of a product. It's a lot more uh, cost-effective, uh, you know, which, is, which is great. Um, all right, so for anyone who's in the U.S. in, in the audience, uh, I know you've recently got these, the new private fund advisor rules that were introduced by the SEC, um, and as I understand, that's added kind of another layer of complexity in your world in terms of private fund advisors and, and prize, uh, private funds, and it's kind of given a whole other layer of regulation. Luckily, we don't have that in Canada yet, and we haven't heard any uh, rumblings from the Ontario Securities Commission or primary uh, regulator that... Canadian Securities Administrators about introducing them, so it's not a headache that we're having to deal with uh, here yet, which is great. Uh, and, and ultimately, again, the, the main kind of draw, drawback about this product is the lack of register plan eligibility. Uh, moving on to mutual fund trusts or, or REITs again, so this, this is really if the product that's being launched is going to be 
like a portfolio, you're going to be acquiring assets on a continuous basis, you're going to be raising capital on a continuous basis, you want to grow that portfolio actively. Um, you have a lot of the same uh, positives uh, that you have with the limited partnership in terms of the tax efficiency, you don't have tax at the corporate level, um, you have more control over managing the business, there's things you don't have to get shareholders to vote for. Uh, the, the biggest pro is that it is registered plan eligible. Um, Consar is a much more complicated product than a limited partnership and you, you need kind of a much larger team around you to effectively grow a business in, as a REIT. Uh, the biggest is that in order to qualify as a REIT or a mutual fund trust candidate, there's a lot of criteria, but the biggest one is you need to have a minimum of 150 unit holders, so that's 150 investors, which is you know, kind of at the outset is a, is a pretty high number. And so what that's going to require you to do is actually to be working with an exempt market dealer or registered dealer in Canada, or it's a limited partnership. If you're taking capital from a lower uh, number of investors, you may not need to be working with a registered dealer because you're kind of raising capital. Uh, you're not in the business of dealing securities, um, and so you, you don't need to be working with a, a properly registered dealer. But if you are raising capital under a REIT, you're doing it at such a high volume and such a consistent amount that you are going to uh, need to be working with an exempt market dealer. So you're going to have to have to pay a, a commission or a ticket uh, to them to do that. Uh, and in order to, to reach that 150 um, investor uh, base, uh, that has to be done within the first 90 days of the year end of a, of a REIT. So when you're launching it, the, the timing, uh, there has to be a lot of consideration given to it. So you know that you're going to hit that number of investors uh, in order to preserve your, your status as a mutual, uh, mutual fund trust. Some of the drawbacks to uh, the, the REIT, um, the biggest one would be that you have to actually facilitate uh, redemption. So you have to give your investors the ability to redeem uh, and get out of their investment. And so you don't have to do that in a limited partnership structure. You could still do it, and some, some do, but as I would say as a market practice, it's a little less common. Uh, in the mutual fund world, you do have to do that. The CRA doesn't exactly have a bright line test of how often you have to facilitate redemptions. It's just the concept is that uh, units have to be redeemable on demand. And generally, we take that to mean at least a minimum of twice a year. I, I'd say market conventions, I, a lot of a lot of reason funds will probably facilitate that uh, if they're private, you know, more frequently, either on a quarterly uh, or, or on a monthly basis. Um, and, and, you know, the, there are kind of guardrails when you put around redemptions. There's a few strategies that you can still use to control that process in terms of uh, capping it at a percent of AUM. So you can say, you know, we're, we're facilitating redemptions is permitted, but you can only uh, you can only do it up to a certain percent of AUM uh, every month or, or every quarter, or what that is. Um, so you don't end up in a run uh, run in the bank uh, situation where you have to facilitate uh, redemptions or satisfy redemptions with more capital than the business has uh, on hand. Uh, in terms of kind of costs and compliance, REITs are a more complicated uh, product. Uh, you know, if you're raising under uh, in Canada, what's called an offering memorandum. There's kind of two types of OMs in Canada. One is which I call like a freestyle OM, and, and so you're only marketing and selling the product to accredited investors uh, or high net worth individuals. The other is actually like a prescribed form OM, and this is one that securities regulators say so you've got to put a whole bunch of prescribed stuff in. Uh, you actually have to have audited financial statements in Ontario as of last year. You have to have uh, mid-year financial statements. Uh, there's some kind of annual reporting. Right? So 
this is a much more regulated, much more kind of um, burdensome uh, process. And you, you just got to view that, I think, as, as, as the kind of cost, uh, the, the cost of raising capital and, and the cost of running your business. Um, but, but it is something that we've seen, uh, especially when a lot of businesses transition from being kind of an LP structure to a reader mutual fund trust. Um, you know, that's something we have seen them that kind of uh, struggle with a little bit. A few kind of catch-alls, I would say, is, um, and these are just kind of three or four big points that we see consistently with all of these products. Uh, one is, is don't be an investment fund by accident. Uh, in Canada, investment funds are a very specific vehicle, and you need to be working with a registered investment fund manager, portfolio manager. And you know, we've come across businesses before where they're accidentally operating as an investment fund by the way that they're structured and, and how they're doing their investments and, you know the last thing you want to do is, is get a letter from the Ontario Securities Commission saying you know can you please tell us why you think you're not an investment fund right so there's, there's some kind of structuring considerations that need to be taken into um, uh, you know taken into consideration at the outset. Uh, another another thing that people really need to think about at the outset when they're launching a fund is, is flexibility in what you communicate to your investors is your investment strategy and what you communicate to your investors what you're going to be doing. And what I mean by that is you know, what's, what's your investment criteria, what's your investment thesis. And one thing you want to ensure is that you, you want to be focused, you want to deliver your message and you say you know, these are the type of assets that we're going to acquire, these are the type of assets that we're going to develop, here's the geographical focus. But you don't want to be too specific and say a whole bunch of things that you're not going to do, right? And this is something we've seen a number number of funds uh, run into issues with, is that you know when they launch, they say you know this is very specifically our investment thesis, uh, which is good, and then here's a number of things we're not going to do. And then the market shifts kind of whatever three, five, six years later, and all of a sudden some of those things that they said they they're not going to do, that they won't do, and they, they're saying you know what now we'd really like to do those, right? And so you've got to just ensure that you, you've been flexible in your messaging from the outset so you can ensure that your, your business has the ability to kind of grow and evolve and your, your, your target for acquisitions or development can kind of evolve along with the market that you haven't backed yourself into a quarter. In terms of fees, uh, everybody's favorite topic um, in this space, the good news is there's not a lot of restriction on the fees that you can, uh, as management or principals of the fund, that you can um, put in these. You know, it's more a, a product of kind of what the market's expecting, what your is palatable to your investors, and you know, you, you can. You like the things we see a lot would be asset acquisition fees, asset disposition fees, uh, management fees is like a percent of AUM, we see guarantee fees, carried interest on the back end. Uh, it, it's all just about kind of communicating those to investors at the front end very clearly and concisely, and so there's no surprises, but it, it really isn't regulated, um, which is good. One other point I'd offer is about private lending arrangements and, and being careful of these. One thing that I see a lot is you'll have a fund and they'll say, you know, we've got our kind of core focus, we've got our business, but we also know a lot of people in the industry. And from time to time, you know, if we have excess funds, what we may do is we may lend them into other projects that we like, uh, and you know, and we may take a mortgage in that. And you have to be super careful about that because you could accidentally be triggering uh, registration requirements as a mortgage broker or a mortgage administrator. And lenders and administrators act in Ontario, and, and so this is something that um, a lot of people I find aren't aware of, and they kind.
and sometimes it's not a core component of our business, so it's something that we do have to look at um, kind of carefully. In, in switching now from kind of on, on the fun side to if you're a strategic investor and, and what the kind of asks are, and so this is a perspective that you know, you're, you're not the principles of the fund, you're not managing one, you're not launching one, but you're considering investing in, in an equity investment. And the, the things that you can kind of ask for when you come to the table, you know, the, I wouldn't say these are particularly bespoke to student housing as an asset class, and, and they would really apply to the majority of, of re, uh, real estate uh, assets classes in Canada. Uh, I think the one consideration would be that that's specific to this asset class is that you know it, the industry in Canada it's becoming less fragmented, but it, it still is fragmented. You know, we're not where the U.S. and the UK is yeah. So if you are investing, you know your your capital, the same amount of capital probably represents a larger uh, proportion or kind of percentile investment in a product than it might uh, you know, otherwise represent in, in another asset class. So you, you, you may have more bargaining power than you might think. Uh, but the, the the things that you can ask for, um, you know, you can ask for kind of. Appointment rights to board of general partners potentially, or to the board of trustees. If you have a very large investment size, if there's an advisory board, you can have appointment rights to an advisory board. Uh, kind of consultation or veto rights over certain hot button issues. Uh, early or favorable redemption rights is something uh, oftentimes we'll see people ask for, and you know, that'll that'll often get put into. Um, into side letters or maybe in another class of units it's kind of structured without fees. Uh, uh, in terms of if people are investing in a REIT as opposed to in a limited partnership, a lot of times if you've ever seen kind of a, a REIT or org structure, you've got a mutual fund trust at the top, limited partnership underneath it, and um, it's usually good for both the REIT and, and the limited partners to uh, have that kind of investment going at the, call it the investor, the limited partnership or the kind of master uh, fund LP level. Usually those investors, if they're coming in for whatever, say 10, 15, 20% uh, of the size of the fund, they don't really care about register plan eligibility, so they're not looking to come in to at the mutual fund trust level. And you know, I think there's more ability to kind of successfully negotiate and get bespoke terms for both the REIT as well as the uh, the investors at that level without having to deal with um, some of the kind of more rigid rights that have already been baked into an investment at a mutual fund trust level. In terms of tax considerations, you know, I, I'm not a tax lawyer, so I'm not going to spend too much um, time talking about, talking about tax. But th there's probably two, two or two and a half points that I, I think are important to consider, uh, and the first relates to investment from international investors. So, in if it's a limited partnership, we typically structure them so that they're only accepting investment from resident Canadians, and that's done for two reasons. One is to avoid having uh, Canadian source income earned by the fund being subject to Canadian withholding tax, and the second is to permit tax deferred transfer of real property to the limited partnership. Right? And so what that means is oftentimes there'll be a deal where someone is actually looking to vend in real estate assets that are going to be used to develop uh, student housing into the limited partnership, and if it's a Canadian limited partnership, you only got Canadian investors, then you can actually do that on a tax-deferred uh, rollover basis if you're taking back paper limited partnership units. Uh, but if, if there's 
support an investment in the limited partnership, you're not going to be able to do that. Um, and so, you know, we do have a workaround that we can use kind of like blocker corps for, for, to still accept foreign investment into the limited partnership, uh, you know, and, and still kind of preserve the integrity of, of that called like a Canadian limited partnership while still accepting uh, foreign investment. Uh, and if, you know, if, if you anticipate that you're going to have a lot or a higher, um, you know, kind of higher volume of investment from, uh, you know, foreign investors, then we kind of set up fee or fund structures. Uh, the second point is is land transfer tax, and this one surprises a lot of people. So this is kind of an Ontario specific thing. It's something you have to look at on a province by province basis. But if you're investing in a, a fund that already has real property and you're acquiring units of that limited partnership as an equity investment, you're actually going to be attracting land transfer taxes to purchaser on it, which um, catches a lot of people off guard. And, you know, there isn't a minimus uh, exception, so if it's like less than 5%, you're, you're not going to get dinged with that land transfer tax. But if it's more than that, there is going to be land transfer tax, right? And so we see this issue come up a lot in uh, real estate development plays that are, are more kind of JV style, where you, you, you're, not, you're not really marketing to a, a lot of investors, you're only maybe marketing to you know kind of two or three years more of like a, a JV style deal, right? So that's something that should be on people's radar. University Development Trust. I'm not going to talk a lot about this today. Um, I just really want to give a shout out. So I have um, the, the colleagues in my tax and real estate group um, are, are doing some absolutely fantastic work in this space. And so if you are a university in Canada, if you have significant land holdings and you're not currently structured as a university development trust, you really should be talking to us um, because there's a lot of um, tax advantages and, uh, being left uh, on the table. Um, so we've got an article here uh, and we work with a number of uh, post-secondary edu education institutions in Canada to um, successfully launch these products. Uh, I'll be around today uh, for probably a good part of the day until the early afternoon. Uh, if you have any questions at all, you want to chat, just uh, come find me. And uh, yeah, thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Shore In Your Ears. Today's presentation from Alex Bruels, partner in the Capital Markets and Securities Group at Toronto-based Macmillan LLP. Mr. Bruels was recorded in front of a live audience at Shore GTA in Eastern Canada on November 15th, 2023. You have been listening to Shore In Your Ears the official podcast series of the Shore Initiative. Please visit us at shore.international. That's S-H-U-R-E dot international.